Thank you, John, for leading us in prayer. Uh, my name is Joseph. If I haven't met you yet, uh, look forward to doing that. I'm excited about um, what God's going to do this summer and uh, don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves So, because I'm excited about tonight and what God's going to do through this passage. Um, if you uh, haven't been following along with us, we're in the book of Genesis. Tonight's going to be Genesis chapter 24 if you want to make your way there. Um, I'm, uh, I'm continually amazed by the beauty of the stories that are in the Bible. Um, and the Bible really is just one big story. And, uh, and um, having kids helps with that. Uh, um, if you don't have kids, I'm sorry. Um, if you do, then you understand that there's a lot of different books out there uh, for kids. And one of them is uh, the Bible storybook. And just reminds us that there is a, there's a thread all throughout the scriptures that's pointing to Christ. And, and so, especially in the Old Testament, there's this line that can be traced all the way from Genesis to the Gospels. And so, um, that's one of the things that we want to pick up on tonight. Um, I'm just going to point out a few things from Genesis, see if you see any things that are, are familiar. Genesis 3.15 is the first time that we see the, this promised seed of the woman is going to come, but we don't know when. And we can trace this through the book of Genesis. Genesis 6, God preserves Noah and the promised seed through his son Shem. And then Genesis 12, God picks Abraham to produce the line of the promised seed and preserves that line when Abraham tries to give his wife to Pharaoh in Egypt. And then Genesis 15, God gives covenant promises to Abraham and he believes God. And then in verse 17, uh, chapter 17, God institutes the sign of the covenant with Abraham and his offspring. And then in chapter 20, God intervenes uh, once again to protect and to preserve the line of the promise when Abraham tries to give his wife away again to Abimelech. And then in Genesis 21, God continues the line of the seed of the woman by bringing the promised son of Isaac to Sarah and Abraham. And remember that beautiful line, is anything too hard for God? Nope, as we've seen it time and time again. Nothing is too difficult for our Lord. In Genesis 22, Abraham proved in faith that he feared the Lord. And so God said, I'm going to bless you. I'll multiply your offspring and in your offspring so all the nations be blessed. But Abraham and Sarah still only had the one son. Isaac. And then Genesis 23, last week we saw God begin to fulfill the promise that he had made back in chapter 17. I'll give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. I will be their God. So we, we learn that Sarah dies, Abraham mourns her, purchases the property for her, buries her, and the, at the end of last week we see that Isaac is 37 years old and he's wifeless and childless. Now, what we're going to see tonight from Genesis chapter 24 is that God sovereignly provides a wife to preserve the line of the promised seed of the woman from Genesis 3. He sovereignly provides, and we're going to see that. God is sovereign, which means that he pre presides over every event that's great or small. He is in control of our lives. He rules all of creation with all knowledge and all power. And so the sovereignty of God is the main attribute that we're going to see as we read through this narrative tonight. Now, this passage is 67 verses long, so this is not going to be a 25 or 30 minute sermon, all right? So let's buckle up and let's get ready, but it's not going to be 60 either. So the, this chapter, it has a lot of tension in it, right? It builds up 
And then it, it releases a little bit, builds up, releases a little bit. There's a lot of new characters. There's different environments. And, and so if you're a note taker, this is super easy to remember. Um, if you want to jot this down, it's broken up into four different scenes, or if you like movies, four different scenes, okay? Scene one, this is going to be on the screen, so don't worry about having to repeat it after me talking really fast. Scene one, the location is Canaan. That's verses one through nine. The characters are Abraham and his servant. Scene two, the location is Mesopotamia. Those verses 10 through 28, the characters are the servant and Rebecca. Scene three is in Mesopotamia once again. The verses 29 through 61, the characters are the servant, Laban and Rebecca. And then scene four, the last one, is located back in Canaan. In the, those are verses 62 through 67. You have Isaac, Rebecca, and the servant in that one to wrap up the narrative. Uh, before we dive in, in verse 1, let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to us tonight. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you for the opportunity to be in this room, and I thank you for every person that's in this room. Lord, I thank you that this, your word is going to go forth and I, th I thank you that apart from you, we can't understand. And as the psalmist prays, we pray tonight that you, O oh Lord, would give us understanding according to your word. We, we plead with you that you would deliver us from our selfish, self-sovereign ways. As we read your passage, this passage tonight in your word, we're going to see how sovereign you are and be reminded of that how you guide our lives. Lord, and, and we desire for your will to be done, not ours. And we just ask up front that you would forgive us for being selfish and self-sovereign individuals, trying to control our own destinies, Lord, and, and not trusting you. I pray that we would walk away tonight realizing that you are trustworthy and that you are sovereign and that we should trust and obey you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Genesis chapter 24, starting in verse 1, says, Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh. That's strange. We'll get to it. Don't worry. That I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country, to my kindred, Take a wife for my, for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, who spoke to me and swore to me, Take your offspring, I will give you this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. So Sarah's dead. Abraham's old. But because of God's blessing, Abraham is loaded. That means he's got a lot of stuff. He's, very, he's a rich dude, right? He has a large inheritance to leave to Isaac. But he doesn't care about that. He wants Isaac to have a wife so that God's promise of offspring comes to fruition. Because Abraham is old, he can't travel back to his homeland to find a wife for Isaac. And so we see Abraham make a huge, serious request of his servant. In verse 2, 
so serious that he says, put your hand under my thigh. Now, this is very strange for us because this is not how we make oaths today, right? Uh, we have to think about this and put ourselves in their shoes and think about, put your cultural contextual hat on right now, okay? And, and, and think about who's making this request. The closest thing we can compare it to really is if you've ever been in court or if you've ever been summonsed and you've seen anybody get called up to be a witness, they have to do something before they get on that chair. They put their left hand on the Bible, they put their right hand in the air, and they solemnly swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help me, God, right? And so that puts a little bit more weight on what they're about to do and what they're about to say, realizing, hey, this is a serious matter. So Abraham wanted his servant to understand how serious of a matter this request is. This is way more serious than like putting your name down on a dotted line if somebody asks you to sign something. It's way more serious than, than sealing something with a handshake. To put your hand under the, the thigh is really close to where the promised seed would come from. You know what I mean? We get the word testify from the root of the word testicles. How's that for a knowledge nugget? <laughs> right? But you didn't know that. So this is a huge quest that Abraham is sending the servant out to accomplish. It's not going to be an easy task. Go find a wife for the son of promise, the fulfillment of God's promise to me, the heir of promise. Go find a wife for the one of God's covenant faithfulness would pass on to after I'm dead and gone. Go find the one the line of promise seed would come through. That's not a big deal, right? Like this guy's trembling. He's like, but what if she doesn't come? Naturally, the servant has some reservations. Like, Abraham, don't you think it's a good idea that I would take Isaac with me so that she could see who her husband would be? And Abraham emphatically says, no, do not take my son there. The Israelites, the original audience hearing this, would realize, they would pick up on the emphasis of not intermarrying with pagan nations. This is a really big deal. Abraham recalls to his servant being called out, chosen by God to go and leave that place so he nor his son would be returning to that land that they came from. And notice how Abraham has matured mightily in his faith. He clearly believes and trusts the Lord that he would move. He, he's at a much deeper faith than when we started, right? Right? He recalls how, how God spoke to him and promised to him. And he says, I know that my God will send his angel before you, my servant. Verses 7 and 8 contain Abraham's last recorded words in Genesis. Words of faith. Words of trust and dependence upon the sovereignty of God. And so Abraham believed completely in God's sovereign provision John Calvin says, here we have simple reliance on the providence of God. Abraham's confidence and faithfulness to God's word is admirable. Twice he tells him not to take his son back to the land, and he gives his servant a way out if the woman doesn't want to come back with him. And so he'd be free from the oath. It's important to note um, that the whole like hand under the thigh thing and this whole arranged marriage in this narrative 
is not descriptive for us today, but prescriptive. I mean, it's descriptive, it's not prescriptive. Sorry. Um, it's not saying this is how you should do things today, okay? It's simply explaining what actually happened. It's not telling us that we should do it today. So you can be free and not have to worry about that arranged marriage, maybe. Keep in mind, all right, as we explore it through this text, that this is not prescriptive. Keep that in mind. It's going to come up again. Look at uh, verse 10, scene 2. The servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed. I don't know if you've ever been on camel or like seen camels. They're not small animals. 10 of them is a big party, okay? This is a big caravan, okay? So you have to think like the servant's not going by himself. He's got a lot of people with him. Um, he's got a lot of goods with him, which we're going to learn about, right? He has no GPS, okay? He's got no Siri. He's not, he's, he has no gas stations. There's no Bucky's. There's no quick stop, right? Like, like this is not going to be an easy journey. This is going to be about a thousand miles, months of traveling. And he's taken a lot of gifts, it says, from his master. He arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor, and he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women would come to draw water. And so the servant has all sorts of gifts from his master, meaning he's going to give these to the family of the woman that he finds for Isaac. Where does he start to look for the wife of Isaac? Does he start on a street corner? Does he go to the club? Does he go to the bar scene? No, he chooses to go to the well outside the city. This is very strategic. This should not be lost on us. Remember, like, there's no Facebook. There's no Instagram. There's no Tinder. There's no eHarmony. There's no Christian Mingle. He had to choose the right scene to find a quality wife for Isaac. About five years ago, I don't remember how long specifically, um, the church where we were at back in Winston, uh, we hosted this uh, event for the, a group of 20 and 30-year-olds in the church. It was a cookout. No, uh, like everybody had name tags on. Um, I was in charge of cooking burgers and dogs for about 80 people. And so I was preoccupied, couldn't hang out with my wife. Um, and uh, I found out later that Allie, that's my wife, um, she had a guy come up to her, and his name was Will. And they called him the Big Chill. Will the Big Chill. Um, and I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know him. I'd never met him before. Allie didn't know him. He was a complete stranger. But that's why we were doing this event. This is a, we would invite people in to an event like this who would never come to church. And hopefully they get involved in Christ-centered community. And so Big Chill comes up to Allie. And, uh, and he, says, he says, hey, girl, what you got going on after this? And, uh, and she goes, um, I'm going to go with my husband to pick up our kids and go home. And he goes, oh, so you married and stuff. And she's like, she's like, yeah. And he's like, oh, cool, 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 cool. Um, and I was like, I was like, man, Allie still got it. That's awesome, you know. Like, but like pro pro props to Big Chill for like, like choosing the right scene to, to like pick up a girl, you know. Like, I mean, he shot his shot, but it was a little too late, you know. So, so Abraham's servant has strategically picked the well outside the city, okay? And, and, and so he, 
he, he, we're going we're gonna to see the next thing here that's not prescriptive for us, although it is instructive for us. Look at verse 12. He said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I'm standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have chosen, that, that you have shown steadfast love to my master. And so the servant, who is never named, by the way, we have no idea who this person is. There's some speculation, but we're not going to speculate. Um, he, he prays for God's leading. Being the oldest and most trusted of Abraham's servants, he had surely seen the Lord intervene in Abraham's life before. He's seen the hand of God in Abraham's life, and so he's going to the God of his master, Abraham, to ask for guidance. And he prays a very specific prayer so that there would be no mistaking if God answers with a very specific girl. He doesn't pray that God would write it in the sky who the girl would be. He doesn't say, would you put a big neon arrow pointing down over the head of this woman so that I could go talk to her? One commentator said, it should be noted, the servant doesn't ask for a miraculous divine intervention or for a revelation that would designate who Isaac's bride to be would be. He desired to find a woman who is kind and strong. Notice that the servant acknowledges God's hand and that the woman is to be appointed for Isaac, who is a servant of the Lord. Now in verse 15, the narrator gives the audience a peek behind the curtain. All right? And look at it with me. It says, Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, and the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. So Rebekah is Abraham's kindred because Nahor was Abraham's brother. So Nahor married Milcah, and they had Bethuel, and Bethuel had Laban and Rebekah. We know who Rebekah is, but we have to remember that the servant does not. The servant has no clue who she is. There are no name tags, okay? He didn't have a picture in his wallet of what Abraham's kindred looked like. So he has no frame of reference here. He just sees a girl. He doesn't yet see that this is God's sovereign timing and God's chosen wife for Isaac. Also, we should notice that God had already been working while the servant was praying, even before he finished speaking. This isn't just lucky coincidence. As followers of Christ, as believers, we don't believe in fortune, chance, luck, or fate. God's sovereign timing is on display in this passage, and you cannot miss it. Verse 16, the narrator describes Rebecca's outward appearance. She sa he says that the young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden who had no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. And then the servant ran to meet her and said, please give me a little water to drink from your jar. So the servant isn't wasting any time here. He runs to meet her before she gets away, before she could get home to her family. And he makes a very simple request and asks for some water. Let's see how Rebecca responds in verse 18. She said, drink, my Lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, take notice of the initiative. She said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. 
Notice that the servant didn't even have to ask her to get water for the camels. Rebecca was attentive to not only the servant's needs, but also to the needs of his caravan. She's kind and generous, not just a little, but all the way until they're finished drinking. Verse 20, so she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water. She's not dilly-dallying, dragging her feet. She drew all for his camels, and the man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. And so, I don't know if you you remember the scene from Aladdin when the genie, like, drops his jaw and his eyes come out. Like, that's what the servant's like, okay? He, his eyes are, he's bug-eyed, his jaw is dropped, and he's like, this is crazy. Like, this, this, is, this is actually happening. And he's not only bug-eyed because she's attractive, but he's like, God's answering my prayer, like, right now. Here is Rebecca. Here, she's humble. She's respectful. She's servant-hearted. She's hardworking. She's strong. She's reliable. She's diligent. She's not lazy. And so I, I didn't know a lot about camels before I read this passage. And while I was studying, I was like, I'm going to do some research on camels. There's actually some funny YouTube videos if you want to go watch camels. Um, but I didn't know that one camel alone could drink anywhere from 30 to 50 gallons of water in a few minutes. One camel. How many camels did they have? Ten. Okay. Back then, when a girl would go to a well, she would carry her jar, okay? That jar was anywhere from 2.5 to 3 gallons of water. So that means that she would have to go back to the well about a hundred times to fill up this trough to, to, and think about all those camels, How many hundreds of miles they had just traveled, and they are thirsty, okay? And I don't know if you've ever carried, like, a lot of water at one time. Three gallons of water is almost 30 pounds. So imagine if you've ever worked out in a weight room, like, taking a 25-pound weight and going down into a well and and pulling it up and then walking over and and dumping it down and then going back and doing that about 100 times wouldn't be very quick, very difficult, not an easy task. She did this of her own initiative. And so the servant is like, not only is she easy on the eyes, but she's industrious. I really hope that this is the one. He's amazed. He stares in silence. Is this the chosen one for Isaac? He still doesn't know who she is, but he's definitely seen her character. So people can see your character before they know who you are, before they even know your name. Verse 22, when the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing 10 gold shekels and said, please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? And she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. And she added, we have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. And so the servant gives Rebekah no small gift. And he finally gets the answer to his burning question. Who are you? Remember, back in Ur, Terah had three sons. I thought, like, this was helpful for me. So I hope, do we have the the family tree, maybe? Okay. Okay. 
So Terah right here, this is Abraham's dad. Here's Abraham. He had two brothers, Nahor and Haran, all right? And so Nahor married Milcah, and y'all remember when Birdie was preaching, us, buzz, cuz, all those guys? They're, they're, that's them right there. Well, Bethuel was born to them, and Bethuel had Rebekah and Laban. And so this is how we know that they're related. So Isaac is, is going to meet Rebecca. Now, I don't know if you remember or not, back in Genesis 22, at the end of that chapter, this is how it ended. Now, after these things, it was told to Abraham. So it seems like Abraham's hearing news from his family back where he came from. So they're still communicating, probably traveling pigeons, something like that. He said, behold, Milcah has born children to your brother Nahor, Uz, Buzz, Kemuel, Kesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jiplath, Bethuel. Bethuel fathered Rebekah. So back in 22, it's looking forward to this promised woman, promised seed coming through this promised line. So remember, there's no name tags. Think about this in your mind. These are strangers. The servant and his caravan is a stranger in distant land, and he's having this interaction after he's had this prayer. This is truly a divine appointment, and he doesn't even realize it. When the servant finds out who Rebecca is, his response is recorded in the next couple of verses. Look at it starting in verse 26. The man bowed his head and worshiped. He doesn't even stop, and he doesn't care that, that Rebecca's still there. Whoever's watching, he doesn't care. He worshiped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love, his faithfulness towards my master. As for me, the Lord has led me into the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household all of these things. So she is just as astonished as the servant is. And we can learn a lot from this man and this response. This is a worshipful response. It's a response of praise and adoration of God hearing a prayer and answering that prayer so quickly. Maybe you could learn something from this. I know I could. How often do we pray and we forget to praise? How often do you pray for something and then you forget to go back and thank the Lord for that thing? The servant acknowledges that God sovereignly guided him to his master's kinsmen. And so it's clear that God sovereignly planned this interaction between Rebecca and the servant. So God orchestrated this whole thing, but take notice that men still had to act. People still had to live their lives. You're still responsible, even though God orchestrated this whole thing. So verse 29 begins scene three. Still in Mesopotamia, Laban enters the scene. Look at verse 29. Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran out towards the man to the spring. As soon, pick up on this, as soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the word that she said. So he's like, there's, there's more to this guy, more than just the ring and the bracelets. Thus the man spoke to, to me and, and he went to the man. So Laban runs out. He found him standing by the camels at the spring, and he said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house, a place for the camels. And so the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels, and there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. And then food was set before him to eat. So this family is being very hospitable, 
But the servant isn't wasting any time. He immediately gets down to business. Look at verse 33. But he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. And so he, that's Laban, said, speak on. And so the servant goes on to retell the whole story in verses 34 through 49. From Abraham's commissioning to finding a wife for Isaac to the specific prayer to his interaction with Rebekah. Look at it with me. This is important. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants, female servants, camels and donkeys. So the servant is painting a picture for their family of Abraham and his household. And, and Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. And to him, he has given all that he has. So this is who you're going to give your daughter to. My master made me swear, saying, you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife for my son. Once again, instructive for Israel. I said to my master, perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, the Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son from my clan and from my father's house. Super confident when he's telling this. Then you will be free from my oath when you come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I'm standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water to whom I say, please give me a little water from your jar to drink. And who will say to me, drink, and I'll draw from your camels also. Let her be the woman from whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. God's hand is all over this. He's making sure they see this. Before I had finished speaking in my heart. So this is a prayer. There's a lot of different ways to pray. This is a prayer that we learn that the servant is speaking in his heart. He could be on his camel. He could be sitting beside his camel. He doesn't have to be on his knees with his eyes closed talking to the Lord. You can pray while you're walking down the road, while you're driving, in the shower, in class, before. Like, he's speaking in his heart, talking to the Lord. Behold, Rebekah came out with her water jar on her shoulder. She went down to the spring and drew water. And I said to her, please give me a drink. And she quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, drink. I'll give water to your camels also. And so I drank, and she gave the camels drink. And then I asked her, whose daughter are you? And she said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. And so I put the ring on her nose and braces on her arms. And then I bowed my head. This is important. He's letting them know that he's praising the Lord in advance. I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master, Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you're going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me, and if not, tell me that I may turn to the right or to the left. So he's like, I need to know. We're not even going to eat until I get the answer to this. So the retelling of the story, it seems to us kind of unnecessary. It seems repetitive in our Western ears. Like, but to the original audience, this was essential all the details, the rehearsing is essential. It's emphasizing God's providential provision. Plus, have you ever been a part of something that God did and you were like, this is amazing. I've got to tell people. What did you do? You're just like, hey man, this happened. No, you were like, you went through every detail. You were like, dude, this happened, this happened. I know I've heard the story, but dude, you got to remember this happened. Like God did this and then he did this. Like he's really excited. This is blowing his mind. 
After he's rehearsing the story of God's faithfulness, he gets straight to the point. He doesn't want to beat around the bush. He wants to know quickly whether he can take Rebekah back with him or whether he needs to keep on going. So this servant is a man on a mission. In verse 50, he gets his response. Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you, bad or good. Behold, Rebekah's before you. Take her and go. Let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has spoken. And when Abraham's servant heard these words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. And the servant brought out jewelry of silver and gold and, and garments and gave them to Rebekah. And he also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. So while the family didn't know it, but the servant rehearsed all of this, they thought they were just going to have a meal, and now they're at an engagement dinner. Just like that. Right? So the response is favorable. The family agreed to the marriage. They celebrated together, and the bride price was given. And when they arose in the morning, the servant said, send me away to my master. And once again, he's excited to complete his mission, but Rebecca's family doesn't like the haste. Look at verse 55. Her brother and her mother said, let the young woman remain with us for a while, at least 10 days, and after that she may go. But he said to them, do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. And they said, let us call the young woman and ask her. So they're like, dude, bro, we, didn't, we had no clue. You didn't call us ahead of time and let us know. Like, we want to spend a little more time with her. Like, you're just going to leave? Like, one day we're just chilling, hanging out, and the next day she's going to be gone? Like, let's let her decide. And so it seems like Rebecca had some say in the matter about when she would go with the servant. Her response reveals even more about her integrity. In 58, she said, they called Rebecca and she said, they said to her, will you go with this man that you just met yesterday? And she said, I will go. So Rebecca honors the Lord with her willingness to submit to his plan. She trusts and obeys even in the face of uncertainty much like Abraham did when God called him out. She trusts and obeys, not knowing where, what it's going to look like, what Isaac looks like. Much like another young lady that we're introduced to at the beginning of the Gospels, when the angel Gabriel came to Mary and announced to her that she was chosen and highly favored. And Mary's response, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. I'll do it. I'll go. So Rebecca and Mary were both ladies that God sovereignly chose to bring about the promised seed of the woman, Jesus the Messiah. In verse 59 it says, so they went, they sent away Rebecca, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men, and they blessed Rebecca and said to her, our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. And then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. So they didn't realize that they were blessing Rebekah with a prophetic blessing. For in Genesis twenty-two, seventeen, God told Abraham, I will surely bless you and I'll multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies." That offspring would come through Rebekah and Isaac. And now, for the last scene, starting in verse 62. And Isaac 
had returned from Ber Lahairoi and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening, and he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, It is my master. And so she took her veil and covered herself, and the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. And then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. And so Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Now, I've never ever heard this phrase, but this is a meet-cute. Has anybody ever heard that? Before, this is a good meet cute. Like, anytime there's a romantic comedy, the love interests at some point in time in the movie, like, you can always tell, oh, they're going to end up together. Right? We could write this script, okay? And so, this is the meet cute for Isaac and Rebecca. And imagine the anticipation of Rebecca. She has just left everything she knows and everything she's familiar with to go meet a man she's never met, her God chosen husband. She could have been learning all about Isaac from the servant or the other people who were with the caravan on that long journey, traveling hundreds of miles and taking months, learning all about her new husband. Meanwhile, think about Isaac. Put yourself in his shoes. He's been waiting a heck of a lot longer for Rebecca. What's he been doing? We don't know. The text doesn't say. We're not told much, but we do find him meditating in the field. So reflecting on maybe the awesome work of his creator's hands. Maybe he's marveling at God's creation, and then he gets introduced to his bride, the best of God's handiwork. Their marriage was immediate, and Isaac bringing her into his mother's tent symbolized that Rebekah was now the new matriarch of Israel. Isaac loved her and found solace in her since he was mourning his mother's death. And so the unnamed servant who was commissioned by his master to go and do a very meaningful task succeeds because of the Lord. He's obedient. He goes with haste. He doesn't waste time. He gets down to business. He honors the Lord. He's faithful to his master. He's used of God and God's sovereign plan to provide for the promised seed of the woman. And so there's a ton of good principles that we could glean from this narrative. There's a lot of things to learn in here, like trust, faithfulness, loyalty, qualities to look for in a spouse, prayerfulness, sensitivity to God's leading. But the main point, is not about Abraham's matured faith. It's not about the servant's willful obedience to his master. It's not about Rebecca's character, her work ethic, or the way that she trusted in God's plan. It's, it's not about Isaac's prayerful patience and waiting. The main point of this entire narrative is that God sovereignly chooses a bride for Isaac to preserve and to bring about the promised seed of the woman, the Messiah. God is sovereignly working in this entire narrative. In a similar way, God sovereignly chooses a bride for himself, a people for his own possession through Jesus, the promised seed. God sovereignly brought Isaac and Rebekah together for his plan and glory to use their marriage to advance his kingdom purposes. And we now know that marriage is a beautiful picture, a union between Christ and his church. And Jesus is the groom, the church is the bride. The deepest meaning of marriage is that it models the covenant-keeping love of God with his people. So those who are in Christ know that we love because he first loved us. And so this story reminds us that we aren't on some rock called earth just hurtling through space with no purpose, and our lives aren't left up to blind chance. 
God is in control. He is sovereign over history. He's sovereign over nature. And he's sovereign over our individual lives. From the rolling of the dice in every casino to every bird that falls on the ground in the woods that nobody sees, God is sovereign. Jesus said in Matthew 10, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. We are called to surrender and entrust our lives to God's good, sovereign plan. So are you trusting in the Lord with all your heart? In his commentary, Ross said, Believers may trust the Lord to give them guidance and success through his covenant faithfulness as they act responsibly in obedience. So the Bible reminds us that God is sovereign. He's he's sovereign over history. He's sovereign over nature. He's sovereign over your lives. And he's definitely sovereign over salvation. Ephesians 1 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So the servant in Genesis 24 was commissioned to go and fulfill an impossible task unless God led him in his steadfast love. And so it's not hard for us today to thank God that we, as disciples, are servants of our master. And we've been given a commission to go and share the gospel to all peoples. And about that commission, Spurgeon said this, the father would find a bride for the great bridegroom, a recompense for the redeemer, a solace for the savior. Therefore, he lays it upon all whom he calls to tell out the gospel that we should seek souls for Jesus and never rest till hearts are wedded to the son of God. Oh, for the grace to carry out such a commission. Jesus our master has commissioned us to go and tell the good news, to invite people in, to come and bow down to this king and worship, to be welcomed in to his eternal family. I pray that we would marvel at God's sovereign plan. I pray that we would worship him consistently. We aren't called to comprehend his plan completely, but we are called to trust and obey. Like the song says, maybe you've heard it, Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Maybe you're familiar with that line, but maybe you're not familiar with the whole song. As we close, I want you to close your eyes and listen to this chorus, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to worship the Lord. Lord, I love you. Please help me to trust and obey. Then in fellowship sweet, we will sit at his feet or we'll walk by his side in the way. What he says we will do, where he sends we will go. Never fear, only trust and obey. Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Father God, I praise you for your word. We praise you and just acknowledge that you are sovereign. You are sovereign over all things. 
If you're sovereign over nature and you're sovereign over history, you're definitely sovereign over our lives. And I pray that you would forgive us for when we we do not trust you, when we do not obey you, when we do not come to you prayerfully, when we do not listen and obey quickly, when we drag our feet, when we're lazy, when we complain and when we question your plan for our lives. I pray that you would forgive us for when we jump up back on that throne and try to be the sovereign ruler of our own lives and take the reins back that we once surrendered up to you. I pray that if there's anybody in the hearing of my voice who has never surrendered to you, who has never bowed down in worship to you and made you the Lord of their life, I pray that you would call them to yourself right now. You would whisper their name. You would advance your kingdom. And for those of us who are yours, I pray that we would be diligent to live on purpose, to fulfill the commission that you have given us, that you would find us faithful servants because you are our master and we need you and we depend upon you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.